0: Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. I have to preface uh, this sermon today on uh, an experience that I've had uh, two years ago this month, two years ago in October, I began uh, being a part of a support group for caregivers of people who have dementia. And after a year of uh, being a part of that group, this was through Duet, which we are all familiar with here at at, uh, uh, Beatitudes, and there are pictures up there on the wall. and we always honor her when we talk about duet, and duet asked me to facilitate a grief group for loved for caregivers whose loved ones have died, especially caregivers of people with dementia and so I said yes, and so since then, I have been uh, facilitating two groups of People whose loved ones have had dementia and whose loved ones have died, one virtually and then also an in-person group. And so what I say today is coming from my experience from that, and especially what I've learned uh, in that experience. If we people of faith had to sum up in one word what the message of Jesus is, it would probably be the word love. Did you hear, by the way, and Lucy's lesson today, the shortest verse in the Bible, the one that your Sunday school teacher always hears when she asks you to memorize a verse of the Bible? That verse is, Jesus wept. That's a whole verse. Here's another passage that we, in Sunday school, I think probably learned, and that is what we call the greatest commandment comes from the 22nd chapter of Matthew, and it tells us to love, to love God, to love our neighbor, and to love ourselves. Love is a wonderful thing. It's the best of things. Love is stronger than any hate, than any darkness, than any violence. Love is just the best. The Apostle Paul reminds us that love bears believes, hopes, and endures all things. And most of all, Paul says, is that love never ends. Never. So we strive to love as much as we can, and in as many ways as we can. There is a price to pay, however, for love, and the price we pay for love is grief. It's something we try to avoid. We dread going through it. We're generally uncomfortable being around other people who are experiencing it. Yet, if we never love, we never know grief. No love, no grief where grief is a sign of love. And grief is a response to losing that love. Now, a preacher could do a whole series of sermons on this whole issue of grief because it affects our lives in so many ways. We, we experience the grief, obviously, through the death of a loved one. We experience it through divorce, through the loss of a limb, the loss of a job, through the loss of our health, through the loss of a loved one suffering from dementia, the loss of of someone who's disappeared. It's, It's like we still see flags in our neighborhood, MIA flags, those black flags of people who have been lost, but we have no idea what happened to them. And we experience grief through that too. Today, I'd like to mention three misconceptions that uh, we tend tend to fall out of us, I think, as we respond to someone who is grieving the loss of a loved one through death. All of these misconceptions are spoken with the best of intentions, but they can be awfully confusing to the one who is suffering. It is well for us first that we avoid saying, don't feel bad, don't feel bad. First of all, what's wrong with feeling bad? Grief is painful. Grief hurts physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. When we are grieving, of course we feel bad period. Now, assuring our loved one, assuring that their loved one is in a better place or has lived a long life or many other things that we might say to, to comfort that person who has lost their love makes us feel that we're providing a sort of a positive bent to a, to a negative situation, but it really doesn't take away the hurt in the heart of that one who has suffered that loss. Giving comfort is wonderful. We need to allow the natural reactions to grief, to the losing of a loved one, to play out. Pretending to feel good when you feel terrible doesn't help at all with healing. Another unhelpful suggestion to a person in grief is to suggest that somehow she or he can replace the loss. One of the worst things to say to a parent when they've lost a child is, well, you can always have more children. That's like a punch in the gut. Or maybe you're young, you fall in love again the first week in my first church in a little town called Clarksburg, California, I had to tell a mother and a father that their their oldest son had been killed in a car accident. The worst thing I could have said to them would have been, well, you still have three other children. Then there's the advice we like to give. That advice being just takes a little time Give it time. There is no time frame for grief. As much as we would like there to be one, because it will make us feel better, we can't go around grief. We can't go above grief. We can't go under grief. We have to go through grief. Everyone who grieves is different, as is the experience of grief different for everyone. And like it or not, it's just a part of life that we can't avoid. You may remember the stages of death and dying that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross developed in a a book called Death and Dying, a very popular book years ago. The, The stages were, if you remember denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. Unfortunately, too many of us have have tried to apply those stages to grief. They can be helpful, but even Kubler-Ross, after years of suffering several debilitating strokes, had to rethink her own premise about those stages because grief can't be reduced to a timeline or a series of stages. The grief experience is powerful. It changes us. And if we allow ourselves to do the hard work of getting through it, we will grow as people and have a greater understanding and compassion for others. In our lesson today, Jesus weeps for his friend, Lazarus. And why does he weep for him? Because he loved him. But his love was not without hope. It is well and loving to allow our friends to do the work that grieving requires. And it is work to grieve. We must allow them to do it in their own way. We can and should be a loving and hopeful presence for them as they take their journey into this new phase of their lives. In Stephen King's book, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne, who has been incarcerated for 19 years for a crime he didn't commit, reminds his fellow prisoners, even in their skepticism, that hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and hope never dies. When Paul tells us that love bears all things, we must include grief among those things and remember that love, which is the price we pay, the price that is paid for grief, that that love never ends. It is in that love that we find our hope, hope that the pain of grief will ease, that the sun will shine again for us, that we will find new direction and purpose for our lives. God is, of course, the source of all love, undying as it is, And that love will not let us go. For that blessing, we give thanks for faith, hope, and love abide. And the greatest of them all is love. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online-giving Beatitudes Radio Empowering people to enrich society